Hello, everyone, and welcome to Devon's Energy fourth quarter and full year 2023 conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During this presentation, you can register to ask a question by pressing star followed by one on your telephone keypad. This call is being recorded. I would now like to turn the call over to Scott Cody, Vice President of Investor Relations. Sir, you may begin. Good morning, and thank you for joining us on the call today. Last night, we issued an earnings release and presentation that covered Devon's results for the past year and our outlook for 2024. Throughout the call today, we will make references to the earnings presentation to support prepared remarks, and these slides can be found on our website. Also joining me on the call today are Rick Moncrief, our President and CEO, Clay Gaspar, our Chief Operating Officer, Jeff Rittner, our Chief Financial Officer, and a few other members of our senior management team. Comments today will include plans, forecasts, and estimates that are forward-looking statements under U.S. securities law. These comments are subject to assumptions, risks, and uncertainties that could cause our actual results to differ materially from our forward-looking statements. Please take note of the cautionary language and risk factors provided in our SEC filings and earnings materials. With that, I'll turn the call over to Rick. Hey, thank you, Scott, and appreciate everyone taking time to join us this morning. For today, my comments will be centered on four key themes. Devon's accomplishments in 2023, the catalyst of our improved outlook for 2024, the depth of the resource we possess in our portfolio, and the strategic priorities that will drive our free cash flow allocation going forward. Now, beginning with the fourth quarter, we exited the year with a solid quarter of execution highlighted by production that exceeded the top end of guidance, meeting consistency across all products. Discipline and reinvestment resulted in our 14th consecutive quarter of free cash flow, and we took steps to increase cash returns by stepping up the pace of our stock buyback. These positive results rounded out another successful year for Devon, where we achieved several key milestones that I am extremely proud of. On slide seven, you can see we delivered production growth rate of 8% in 2023, resulting in new high all-time production for oil. This healthy growth rate was also paired with returns on capital employed that outpaced the S&P 500 by a substantial margin for the third straight year. With the free cash flow our business produced, we rewarded shareholders with an impressive cash return cash return yield of around 10% that was balanced between buybacks and dividends. As I touched on during the last call, our team has done a great job of designing a plan to deliver improved capital efficiency in 2023, excuse me, 2024. With the current industry conditions, we still believe it is prudent to deploy a steady capital program designed to optimize returns while maintaining volumes around levels where we exited 2023. Importantly, we expect to deliver this production for 10% less capital versus last year, funded at a WTI break-even price of around $40. In conjunction with this outlook, and given the confidence that we have in the underlying health of our business, the board has approved a 10% increase to our fixed dividend payout. Now, looking briefly at the tra trajectory of our capital and produ production profile in 2024 on slide nine, we plan to be spending to, to be slightly elevated in the first half of the year due to the addition of a fourth completion crew in the Delaware Basin. Due to timing of completions and recent curtailments from extreme winter weather, we expect first quarter production to be the lowest quarter of the year. 
However, we expect volumes and capital efficiency to move higher over the remainder of the year. In 2024, a key contributor to our improved capital efficiency will be the well productivity improvements we expect to achieve in the Delaware Basin. Turning to slide 12, and with the easing of constraints across the basin, we plan to concentrate roughly 70% of the Delaware's capital in New Mexico while optimizing the remaining activity across our acreage in Texas. This allocation to New Mexico is meaningfully higher than what we were able to deploy during 2023 and is more in line with our historic activity in the basin. Overall, this refined capital allocation expected to increase well productivity in the Delaware by up to 10% on a year-over-year basis. Given that two-thirds of our Delaware Basin inventory is in New Mexico, we anticipate being able to sustain our pace of activity on both sides of the state line for the foreseeable future. With this advantaged acreage footprint, you can see on slide 14 that we have one of the largest inventories among operators in the basin, providing us with a multi-decade resource that will drive our enterprise-wide performance for many years to come. The quality of our Delaware-weighted resource base, combined with our discipline strategy, positions us to generate a differentiated amount of free cash flow for many years to come. As you can see on slides 15 and 16, our business is set to deliver a free cash flow yield that is up to three times that offered by the broader markets. With this free cash flow, we are targeting a cash return payout of around 70% while earmarking the remainder to further strengthen our balance sheet. With our flexible cash return framework, we will judiciously allocate our free cash flow toward the best opportunity, whether that be buybacks or dividends. Given that the equity market is heavily discounting valuations in, any, in the energy sector, it's an easy decision to prioritize a buyback over the variable dividend to capture the incredible value that Devon offers at these historically low valuations. Now, slide 19 helps uh, better visualize this compelling value proposition. On the right, you can see energy represents less than 4% of the S&P 500, while contributing more than 10% of the EBITDA in 2023. This is noteworthy given the energy's S&P weighting historically tracks its earnings contribution over time. I believe this gap exists due to extreme valuations in tech, combined with a pervasive misunderstanding of hydrocarbon demand over time. With global energy demand forecasted to increase 50% by 2050, the world is going to need growth from all sources of energy, including oil and natural gas. With the world's power needs continuing to grow, it is evident that peak oil demand is nowhere in sight, and our industry will be an important contributor of energy growth for the foreseeable future. Furthermore, high-quality names like Devon provide significant equity upside over time as you collect outside outsized cash returns. And as I said earlier, this is why we are putting our money to work actively repurchasing shares. And with that, I'll turn the call over to Clay. Thank you, Rick, and good morning, everyone. The Devon team did a really good job of rounding out 2023 by exceeding our operational targets for the fourth quarter. These positive results were driven by three key factors. Number one, improved uptime, driving base production. Number two, increased efficiencies through faster cycle times, resulting in lower capital per well. 
and number three, better new well productivity, improving our wedge production volume. Slide five provides a good visual of these favorable operating trends. The chart on the left highlights the efficiencies we've delivered in our drilling and completions operations. On the right, you can see this track record of efficiency gains is also paired with some of the best well productivity of any producer in the U.S. While these results can certainly vary from quarter to quarter, our consistency over time demonstrates the quality of our assets and execution capabilities. The most significant contributor to this advantage capital efficiency was our franchise asset in the Delaware Basin. In the fourth quarter, roughly 60% of our capital was deployed to this prolific basin, allowing us to run a consistent program of 16 rigs. This activity, with this activity, we brought online 62 new wells, grew productivity 6% year over year, and expanded our duck inventory, allowing us to add a fourth completion crew earlier this year. While we had strong results across our acreage position in the quarter, the top contributors to our performance were several large pads within our cotton draw and state line areas. At cotton draw, in the core of the basin, we brought on 11 three-mile laterals that showcased the stacked pay potential and prolific rates this area can deliver. These extended reach wells were diversified across five different producing intervals in the Avalon, Bone Spring, and Wolf Camp formations. In aggregate, the oil-weighted production from these wells achieved a 30-day rates of 4,400 BOE per day with impressive per-well recoveries trending as high as 4 million BOE. In addition to the high rates at Cotton Draw, we also delivered record-setting drilling and completion times. The, this performance included a record completion pace of 3,100 feet per day, and drilling times for these three-mile laterals came in as low as 19 days with the final mile drilled in a record time of just over 24 hours. Another standout performance during the quarter, and possibly my favorite in terms of naming convention, was our claw hammer project in the state line area. Claw hammer was named by a geologist after the style of playing the beat banjo that his dad used in their family jam sessions. The good news for him and his family is that these wells are fantastic. This eight-well pad consists of two-mile laterals co-developed in multiple intervals in the Wolf Camp A. With production rates averaging 3,900 BOE per day, this package of wells delivered the highest well productivity per lateral foot of any project during the quarter. <clears throat> as I look ahead to 2024, I expect another big year for the Delaware Basin as we have a great slate of projects lined up. We plan to bring online around 215 wells for the year, with most of the capital deployed, deployed towards the best parts of our acreage in southern Lee and Eddy counties and the state line area of Texas. This plan is designed to deliver improved capital efficiency and better well productivity through the full column of development of the Upper Wolf Camp along with select landing zones in the Wolf Camp B where applicable. The de-risking of multiple targets in the Wolf Camp B over the past year has allowed us to pursue more extensive multi-zone developments in 2024, bolstering our high-quality inventory, delivering higher net present value per project, and still delivering exceptional rates of return. <clears throat> Turning to slide 13, 
To build upon Rick's comments from earlier, we're confident in our ability to deploy more capital to the core of the Delaware because of a long list of improvements in infrastructure. These improvements include two BCF a day of processing additions, gas processing additions, expansions to the downstream gas takeaway, enhanced water handling capabilities with our WaterBridge joint venture, build out of gathering and compression, and investment in self-generated power and microgrids to increase the reliability of the electrical infrastructure. With these improvements, we are very well positioned to execute on our 2024 plan. In fact, year-to-date, we're delivering at a pace ahead of schedule, allowing us to fully offset the winter weather downtime we experienced in January across the field. <clears throat> Shifting to the Eagleford, the successful integration of our Validus acquisition was one of the key drivers of the production increase of 56% during 2023. With our enhanced scale in the basin, the team did a great job of capturing synergies by driving improvements across each phase of our operations. This progress can be seen through several indicators, including year-over-year 15% decrease in production costs, a 30% plus improvement in completion cycle times over the course of the year, and we set a company record spud to rig release of only five days. Our activity during the year continued to demonstrate that the Eagleford provides one of the most promising opportunities for resource upside in the U.S. shale. Through tighter redevelopment spacing and refracts, our capital program not only replenished but expanded our risk resource in the play to an inventory runway of around 10 years at today's pace of activity. Looking to 2024, our key focus for the Eagleford team is to sharpen capital efficiency by incorporating appraisal learnings from the past year, along with a more balanced activity across DeWitt and Carnes counties. This plan's expected to deliver single-digit production growth for roughly $75 million less capital over last year. In the Rockies, we possess a unique combination of assets that can provide both growth and free cash flow specifically in the Powder River Basin, we're building upon the well productivity improvements achieved over the past couple of years. Where the average six month cumes increased nearly 20% from historic levels. A recent highlight was the SHU Iberlin 3X well, which reached peak rates in Q4. This three mile Nyerbear well achieved initial production rates greater than 1500 BOE per day with an 85% oil cut and then hung in at that rate for quite a while. In addition to the strong oil productivity, the Iberlin attained a record drilling performance of 1,350 feet per day, a 45% improvement compared to the average Nyerbera well. In 2024, our efforts will be focused on refining spacing, reducing costs, and continue to ready this asset for full development in later part of this decade. In the Williston, I want to thank the team for safely working through the incredibly severe winter storm weather that we experienced in January and rapidly restoring affected production. As I look into 2024, our focus for this asset will be to optimize base production, deploy selective investments to high confidence projects, and harvest $300 million of field level cash flow. 
So far this year, our capital program is off to a great start with our Bull Moose project maxing out our production facilities at over 15,000 barrels of oil per day, with several of the wells flowing 3,000 barrels per day or more during their flowback. Lastly, I'd like to briefly cover our activity in the Anadarko Basin, where we delivered an 8% production growth rate during 2023. The three-rig drilling program funded by our Dow Joint Venture delivered very impressive well production. The value of this production was also enhanced by our ability to route volumes into the premium southeast gas markets and by the team driving operational costs 10% lower. In 2024, we plan to maintain a similar pace of drilling activity in the Anadarko with a keen focus on developing developing the liquids-rich window of the play where returns from our joint venture activity will benefit from higher condensate cuts. And with that, I'll turn the call to Jeff for financial review. Jeff? Thanks, Clay. I'll spend my time today discussing the highlights of our financial performance in 2023 and the priorities for our free cash flow as we head into 2024. Beginning with our fourth quarter financial performance, Devon's operating cash flow totaled $1.7 billion, exceeding consensus estimates, and represents the highest quarterly total of the year. This cash flow comfortably funded our capital spending and resulted in $827 million of free cash flow, driving full year free cash flow to $2.7 billion. Even in the face of headwinds from lower commodity prices, this level of free cash flow ranks as one of the highest in Devon's 50-year-plus history. Another powerful example of the consistent financial results our discipline strategy can deliver. As Rick touched on earlier, with this free cash flow, we're targeting a cash return payout of 70%, with the remainder reserved for balance sheet improvement. Slide 23 in the appendix is a good exhibit representing how we allocated our cash returns in the most recent quarter. Given the compelling valuation of our equity, we prioritized share repurchases over the variable dividend. This resulted in us repurchasing 5.2 million shares in the fourth quarter at a total cost of $234 million. In 2024, we've continued to actively acquire shares through our 10B51 program, and we plan to supplement this with systematic buying with open market purchases during the year. With plenty of runway remaining on our $3 billion buyback authorization, we see Devon's current valuation as a great opportunity to compound the per-share growth for our investors. In addition to our buyback activity, we delivered investors an attractive stream of income through our fixed plus variable dividend framework. In the fourth quarter, we declared a dividend payout of $0.44 per share that is payable at the end of March. This dividend consists of the board's approval to increase the fixed dividend by 10% to $0.22 per share and declare a variable distribution of $0.22 per share. We continue to believe dividends are a great way to reward shareholders and are a critical contributor to total returns over time. We also believe that the flexibility designed into our dividend framework allows us to return meaningful and appropriate amounts of cash to shareholders across a variety of market conditions through the cycle. Moving to the balance sheet, Devon's investment grade financial position continued to strengthen in the fourth quarter with cash balances increasing by $144 million to a total of $875 million. In addition to our strong liquidity, we exited the year with low low leverage marked by a net debt to EBITDA ratio of only 0.7 times. 
Looking ahead with the excess free cash flow that accrues to our balance sheet, we plan to build liquidity and retire maturing debt. Our next debt maturity comes due in September of this year, totaling $472 million, and we will have the opportunity to retire another $485 million of notes in 2025. So in summary, our financial strategy is working well. We have successfully scaled our business to consistently generate free cash flow. We are boosting per share results by opportunistically repurchasing our shares. We offer a dividend yield that far exceeds that of the broader markets, and the balance sheet is in great shape with a clear pathway of continued improvement over the next few years. With that, I'll turn the call back to Rick for some closing comments. Thank you, Jeff. So to wrap up our prepared remarks, I want to reinforce a few key messages. Number one, Devon is a great company that has created a tremendous amount of value for shareholders since we unveiled our industry-first cash return strategy announced in 2020. Since that time, we've deployed $13 billion to dividends, buybacks, debt reduction, and accretive acquisitions. I'm extremely proud of this accomplishment, but we're just getting started. 2024 is setting up to be another wonderful year for Devon. By incorporating learnings from the past year and refining our capital allocation, we expect to deliver a step change improvement in capital efficiency this year. This improved capital efficiency is anchored by our assets in the Delaware Basin, where we expect to deliver the powerful combination of improved well productivity for much lower capital cost. Our long duration resource base, underpinned by the Delaware, is one of the deepest of any company out there. The resource quality provides us an advantage platform to drive attractive per share growth and outsized cash returns for many years to come. And with that, I'll turn the call back over to Scott, and let's have some Q&A. Thanks, Rick. We'll now open the call to Q&A. Please limit yourself to one question and a follow-up. This allows us to get to more of your questions on the call today. With that, operator, we'll take our first question. Perfect. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. That's star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw the question, star followed by 2, and please also remember to unmute your microphone when it's your turn to speak. We do have our first question registered. It comes from Neil Meta from Goldman Sachs. Neil, your line is now open. Yeah, thank you very much, Rick and team. Uh, Rick, I know in, over the last year you've talked about some of your frustration around execution on the oil volume side and that this is going to be an important year for, for for that operational inflection. It does seem like we're seeing some evidence of that with capital efficiency and holding the 315 oil guide. So maybe you could just give us your perspective on whether we're at that inflection point from an ops perspective. You know, Neil, that's that's uh, that's a good question. You know, we we uh, have expressed our frustration. I think in uh, the market, really, you know, we really traded down on uh, some of our uh, variances we saw uh, last year in our um, in our production volumes. But uh, even though they were minor, that the uh, from a volumetric standpoint, they weren't from a from a stock performance standpoint. So I think the setup is is really good for investors as we look uh, we look forward. So it is going to be, I believe. Uh, a point of inflection for us, as we as we've mentioned, uh, really bullish about our performance. Uh, uh, the team has done a wonderful job getting us through some tough weather. We've seen some increased productivity. I think Clay went through the assets really well, 
and we're seeing uh, uh, nice uh, nice growth on the oil side coming out of the out of this uh, first quarter as we enter second, third, fourth quarters of this year. And um, and I'll I'll also say, Neil, I feel really good about uh, the next several years on our ability uh, to keep to be, keep uh, crude volumes uh, where they're at. Uh, I think that it's we're still early. We still are not getting what I think is a strong, strong signal uh, for demand. But when that call comes, I think we'll be we'll be ready to step up for it. But really feel good about uh, the trends we're seeing. Yeah, and just maybe to build on this, this might be a question for Clay. But just can you talk about what you're seeing in terms of well productivity uh, that gives you confidence in your ability to hit or exceed that 315 oil number this year? Yeah, thanks for the question, Neil. I, you know, this is um, one of the frustrating things about a publicly traded company. We we get to see what's coming. We get to see what's happening well before the market does. And so where I can see um, the improvement internally in the well productivity from the first half of last year to the second half of last year, those numbers are just starting to hit the public markets and through the public sources. And so I think that's you know, pretty evident for those that are paying attention that this is not a first quarter 24 we decided to turn on the production. Um, this is an evolution. We wanted to make some really thoughtful investments in the future of the company. We did that. Um, the market, I, I believe, responded pretty vigorously to that. Um, we've since made some changes in the planning, the well delivery, the well performance is really significantly taken an uptick. As I mentioned, even late last year, you see some of that coming through the public sources. Um, we're gonna, it's really gonna manifest in 2024. And as Rick mentioned, we're just off to a really good start, even recovering from a, a pretty severe storm that we saw somewhere one to 2% impact. Um, you know, we always bake in winter weather, but an event like that was pretty out of the norm the productivity of the wells, the performance, we've been able to overcome that, and we feel really good about delivering, uh, being able to deliver the 24 full, full year numbers. All right. Thanks, Clay. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Neil. Our next question comes from Aaron Jayarum from JP Morgan. Aaron, your line's not open. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Um, Rick and, and Clay, you've highlighted um, your expectations to deliver up to 10% well productivity gains in the Delaware Basin. I was wondering if you could maybe help us uh, provide more details on, on what is driving that. Sounds like there's going to be some high grading uh, for Monument Draw to Southeast New Mexico, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what's driving that and, and if completion optimization is also a driver of better year-over-year productivity. Thanks for the question, Rune. I think both things come into play. You know, the, the big headline thing is just a refocus to more where we've historically allocated our capital, kind of in the core of the basin, predominantly where our inventory, our portfolio lays out between New Mexico and Texas. Um, I would say 23, especially first half of 23, was a little bit of an anomaly on where we were allocating that capital, and we needed to do some work from the infrastructure standpoint, but also really understanding where all these fit together. We're benefiting tremendously uh, from that work, from that infrastructure build out, and that's where we're seeing the improvement um, really late 23 to what we're showing today. 
on the completions questions, I wouldn't point to it's um, a big knob that we've changed on, <clears throat> excuse me, like a, a sand concentration or how we're doing what we're doing. But the team is working every single day to think about how do we do it better, how do we touch a little bit more rock, and how do we do it more cost-effectively. And I can tell you we're winning on all fronts. Um, these are small wins at this point. It's a relatively mature way of thinking about these assets, but really, really pleased with the continued improvement there, and that shows up in the numbers as well. Great follow-up. Rick, um, you know, Devin, as you know, has been linked to a few M&A deals in the financial press. Um, I was wondering if you could just comment on where we where you sit today in terms of your A and D strategy, and how you gauge some of the inorganic opportunities um, versus, uh, as Jeff mentioned, uh, you know, the ability to buy back your stock at a at a nine percent kind of free cash flow yield today. Yeah, very good question. You know, Arun, our our uh, our answer has really not changed uh, that much over the last uh, several years. We're going to continue to. Uh, uh, evaluate opportunities. You know, when you're in five basins, you have some great opportunities in all five of those, and and we we watch that. We stay uh, we stay attuned to those opportunities as uh, as they you know come available, or it's the right time for us to uh, to think about that. Um, you know, I don't. So I think we're going to continue to see the high bar. We're going to. It's got to be. It has to have some accretion. It has to have the industrial logic that we have always talked about. And uh, it just has to make us a better company. And if it's if it fits, you know, in that in that framework, you know, uh, man, I think that's that's our job is to create value for shareholders. And so we're going to do that. We also have been advocates for consolidation. I think some of the transactions you that's been announced that I think that they're I think they're positive for our industry. And it just shows that we are a you know we are a depleting uh, industry, and so you always have to replenish. That's you know your portfolio. That's not changed. It's not changed uh, since the uh, you know beginning of this industry, and so we'll always be active. We've got a great team. We've got great uh, analytics capabilities in house, and we, we you know we do our own in, internal analytics. Uh, compare that with what you see out in the public market and uh, and adjust. But uh, once again, we're going to be very very measured. Very disciplined, and uh, we will make we will uh, make some I think the right decisions, and that does include uh, buying our Stalton stock back because I can tell you that at these levels we are very very attractive. Great question. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rune. Our next our next question comes from Nitin Kumar from Mizuo. Nitin, your line's not open. Great. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, good morning, and uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, Rick, I've heard you say and just say multiple times today that you know buybacks are, are very attractive, especially at these levels. But as I look at fourth quarter, the mix uh, actually favored dividends, including the variable payout, uh, a, a bit. Uh, not to nitpick or anything like that, but just want to understand, um, you know, what what drove the decision? I, I, we applaud the 10% increase to the base dividend, but what drove the decision for the variable dividend, and how should we see that evolve in 2024? 
Hey, and this is Jeff. Keep in mind that there is a there is some um, variance in the timing of the variable dividend payout, right? So when we announce it, it actually gets paid in the subsequent quarter. So maybe that's what you're alluding to as it relates to the mix. But um, you know, with our with our frame framework going forward, we're going to simply each quarter focus on delivering about 70% of our free cash flow back to shareholders in the form of that fixed dividend, which obviously we grew at 10% here on a year-over-year basis. Um, that's the first and foremost. Uh, gonna be a priority for us, and we're going to look to continue to grow that on an annual basis going forward. Then beyond that, we're, we're absolutely biased towards leaning in on the share repo uh, here in the near term, uh, and frankly, the variable dividend will fall out of the back of that based on that 70% threshold that I, that, I, that I hit on earlier. So um, we're going to continue to uh, expect to have a higher mix of buyback going forward, um, and, and that's going to be our priority as we walk it, uh, we walk it through this year. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Um, and then my, my next question is really for uh, Clay, probably. Clay, impressive uh, improvements in, in operating efficiencies, uh, you know, days drilled, days completed. Just curious, is there any specific technologies that you would point to that have helped uh, you achieve those? Um, and, and I just, you know, Never say never, but but where are we in terms of 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 those efficiencies? Are we are we getting to some sort of baseline, or you think we can continue to deliver uh, those type of improvements? Then it, it really goes down uh, goes back to just the core operating team. These are highly talented, highly motivated individuals that are absolutely trying to do the right thing. Uh, ultimately for the shareholders they work for. Now, I, I will remind you, this is the same team working just as hard with just as much creativity uh, this year as they were last year. Um, what we found is we really needed to focus. We underestimated what a slight in, uh, change in capital efficiency during the first half of 23 meant to investors. I think that was way over uh, extrapolated into us running out of inventory, not being able to do this anymore. We lost our minds, all that good fun. Um, and, and what we showed is like, like, hang on one second. We still have the capabilities. We've got some really Im impressive inventory, some great quality, and importantly, these are hardworking, impressive people that continue to find a way to do it better each quarter. And this is so many things below the radar that don't always show up in, in the Inveris data or don't show up in the financials. I can tell you we're winning on lots and lots of fronts, and there's more of that to come. So really excited about the, the go forward. I think we've got some good transparency in our slides on quantity of resource, quality of resource. Um, I expect in 24 that we'll regain a little bit of public mojo, but you know that that to me is just uh, it's a little overdue. So uh, looking forward to sharing that win with the team. Okay, thanks guys. Thanks, Ed. Our next question comes from Doug Leggett from Bank of America. Doug, your line is now open. Hey, good morning, guys. This is actually Kalan for Doug, so thanks for getting me on. Um, for my first question, I want to go back to the buyback just to follow up. I, I want to understand the motivations behind the strategy for 24. Shifting capital back to the Delaware on the margin uh, is obviously an efficiency shift, and that makes sense, but in tandem, you're also leading back into the buyback, and that looks rather intentional. So can you talk about why you see the buyback as a preferred allocation today, and why has that changed over the past several months? 
Yeah, you bet. So again, on the on the buyback front, um, you know what's pretty clear to us is as we kind of walk through our framework for evaluating share repo, um, you know, versus the other capital alloc- capital allocation opportunities that we have, whether it be organic investment, um, inorganic investment that that Rick spoke to earlier, whether it's M and A or otherwise, um, and then when we step back and look at the valuation, you know, we look at the multiples, we look at our um, you know our intrinsic uh, value model that we keep in house, you know, and run multiple sensitivities on that. Every which way we turn, what we keep coming back to is the um, our shares look undervalued, you know, relative to the to the broader market, relative to the sector, and certainly relative to the uh, results that we expect to post as we walk our way through this year. So um, that really has been the driver and, and, and our focus, you know, going back uh, to the back half of last year and as we walk into 2024. And it's why we're, we're biased towards having the, the lion's share of our cash returns uh, be focused on the share repurchase going forward. And if I could, I just I want to just call, I want to add one. I'm sorry. I just want to add one comment on that on that prior question. Um, I think it's a common misconception the way we lay the numbers out that we are leaning in or that we're increasing capital to the Delaware, so somehow accelerating. That's not really the case. We are the same rig count, same level of activity. The capital is actually coming down, not just in the in the total company, but in Delaware. But where we're seeing the 10% inflection from the company is really a reduction in some of the other areas. So proportionately, Devin, uh, Delaware is moving up, but on an absolute basis, we're not consuming that inventory any faster than we had in 23 or years before. Got it. I appreciate that. That's where my follow-up will go. So I'm wondering if the reduction in the capital in these other areas, what kind of permanence does that have? Um, is it sort of a stopgap until you figure out what's going on in the Bakken, or is this now the direction of the program? Uh, was the question permanence? Yes, oh, per- the, the permanence? permanence of the, the capital allocation. Permanence, uh, no, meaning how long? Um, how, yes, yes. Can we do it multiple years? I'm just making sure I understand the question. Yes. How, how many years can you run this kind of capital program? Okay. What, what's optimal All right. Thank you, you for that. Sorry. <laughs> the acoustics in here weren't quite right. So sorry about that. Yeah. You know, I think in pulling back the activity, for example, on the Williston Basin, that prolongs that basin's opportunity to continue to deliver free cash flow and offset some of that fall in, in production with some really healthy wells. What we found is we were pushing a little too quickly, a little too much capital to that asset by having the multiple basins that we do, having our franchise asset in the Delaware Basin. It allows us to take a little bit of pressure off that team, allows them to really make sure that all the ducks are in a row, ready for that next pad, and then selectively, we're going to fund those. And as you saw with the bull moose uh, that I talked about on the call, these are phenomenal. These are awesome returns, and we've got more of that to come. Thanks for the comments. You bet. Our next question comes from Neil Dingman from Truist. Neil, your line's now open. Good morning, guys. Thanks for the time. Um, Clay, my first question is probably for you. It's on your Delaware infrastructure and takeaway. I'm just wondering, after adding so much, I saw the slide where you talked about adding so much processing, gathering, compression, water. I'm just wondering now, are you all able to handle the, the continued notable upside that's going to come with the development plan, or will there be a continued build-out? You know, we feel really good about being able to um, 
effectively produce. Remember, we are really watching our flaring. We don't want to have unnecessary shut-ins. We are um, reliant on so many third parties. We wanted to make sure that we had that runway ahead of these very prolific pads coming online. Um, we want to make sure we have that. We do feel very confident in that today. And remember, it's not just you know our immediate wells. We've got some really high-quality offset operators that know what they're doing as well. It's a phenomenal basin, and we have to make sure that that all of that plays together very nicely and so that we have the reliability in the infrastructure to bring these wells online and make sure we ultimately get them to market. Yeah, that makes sense. And then my, my second is just on the Eagleford specifically. Can you give me details? Of the, I think you talked about an 85 to 95 well plan. I'm just wondering, will the focus uh, here be on, on existing key areas like you're doing in the Dell and just maybe talk about any improvements we should think about uh, specifically in this, this area? Thanks for that question. I, um, I'm really excited about the Eagleford. I, you know, one of the things, unlike a lot of other areas, we've continued to test downspacing, tighter wells, subsequent wells. After the, the initial development has been done, bringing additional wells in, which is really not very favorable in most basins, it tends to work and continue to provide upside in the Eagleford. Now, when you pair that with some of the refrack activity, we can actually feather in new wells, refrack some of the existing wells, and we're seeing phenomenal results. As I mentioned in my prepared remarks, we are continuing to expand the runway there without uh, any M&A dollars without, you know, the, just from the existing footprint, the opportunity set continues to expand, and these are very prolific, very uh, accretive to the bottom line uh, kind of numbers that we're really excited about. Great to hear. Thank you all. Thanks, Neil. Our next question comes from Kevin McCurdy from Pickering Energy Partners. Kevin, your line is now open. Hey, good morning. Um, my first question is on the capital budget. We appreciate that the 3.3 to $3.6 billion range is a significant decrease year over year. But if we look back at last year's budget, we noticed that the range is wider, both on absolute dollars and a percentage basis this year. I, I was wondering if you could provide any color on what what might put you at the low end of that range versus the high end of the capital range? Is that driven more by deflation, turning lines, or uh, midstream spend? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Kevin. You know, one of the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the efficiency that I talked about on a couple of my slides. You guys know this very well. We've been at this game for quite a while. Sometimes that efficiency can pull more activity into the calendar year. <clears throat> Look, this is not our first rodeo. This is February. We're already watching that for the full year. We're committed to this range. But if I had to think of what could cause us to um, kind of float to the upside, it's probably that kind of work where you're seeing more opportunities bring um, – bring some of that activity from 25 into 24. I think on the downside, you know, there's, we're early in the year. I think the supply chain deflation opportunities are still, you know, we've got a 5% year over year kind of baked in. I feel good about that. I feel very confident we're going to be able to deliver that. As the year plays out, you know, we really need to see where that changes over time. I, my current crystal ball doesn't see a lot of inflation, um, but there's certainly deflation opportunities in that number, and that potentially could allow us to float or float down to the lower end of that range. 
I, I appreciate the, de the detail on that. And as a follow-up, the Eagleford had a strong production quarter, and it looks like the CapEx guidance for that asset is fairly consistent year over year. Um, can you talk about the production and capital efficiency outlook on, in the Eagleford and if there's any you know, major changes between uh, 2023 and 2024? Hey, Kevin, this is Rick. One of the things that I've been really proud of over the last uh, 12 to 18 months is, is coming on the heels of the Validus acquisition, what we have been able to learn. It's a solid acreage. It's, I, would, I would say it, uh, it is, it is uh, second, uh, certainly, to our Blackhawk acreage. But the thing about it that we need to remind investors of and analysts of is that on the Blackhawk acreage, it's a 50-50 joint venture with, with BPX. BPX operates the drilling and the completion of that. And what we felt it was really from a, from a um, not only a productivity increase, but also just a strategic perspective, we thought it was imperative that we had an asset that we owned, that we did the drilling, that we did the completions on. The five-day well, the clay, uh, the clay uh, referenced a while ago, I can tell you that absolutely ex exceeded anything that we had in our, in our validus uh, uh, you know, development plan. So when I look at that, I look, now we're having some very, very meaningful uh, discussions with our joint venture partner there and they're very constructive and I think it's going to lead to to even even better performance over time in the Eagleford. I'm really pleased with what we're seeing uh, with the refract program. It's going to continue to um, uh, drive some some uh, I think some, some uh, long-term sustainability uh, down there that a lot of people I think are, are underestimating. So uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to Clay to uh, add any additional color, but um, the Eagleford is an area I can tell you that we're, we're very excited about. Yeah, thanks for those comments, Rick. I think that's uh, spot on. Kevin, the only thing I wanted to add is I, I do show a, a relatively meaningful drop, probably about a 10% or so drop in capital, um, about $75 million, the rough number I had, from 23 to 24. And um, so, and again, that's with single-digit production growth on top of that. Now, there is some well mix in there. We have a joint venture partner on part of the assets. We own the rest. We operate kind of a normal fashion. So there is some um, change in mix. But from a capital efficiency standpoint, things are moving in the right direction, and we continue to see upside potential on this particular asset. Our next question comes from Scott Grubber from Citigroup. Scott, your line is now open. Yes, good morning. Um, the 10% improvement in productivity that you forecast in the, in the Permian is normalized on a 10,000-foot lateral. Is it going to be a step up in, in lateral length in the play as you refocus on the core, or is that going to be rather consistent? Yeah. Scott, it's pretty consistent year over year. Um, we're always trying to drill longer laterals. It's kind of the the opportunity set in front of us. Uh, we're always we feel very confident in our ability to deliver three mile laterals from a productivity from an operational standpoint. The land mix doesn't always allow for that, so we're going to be north of two miles, but not too much north, and it'll be fairly consistent uh, year over year. Got it. And then just a, a nuanced one on, on the one Q guide. You know, last quarter you provided that uh, 305 um, of oil per day. Today you're, you're guiding for 640 with a 2% weather impact. Um, but 640 at, you know, 48%-ish oil cut, you're kind of still around, maybe even slightly better than that 305 figure from last quarter. So 
the question is, is the, is the underlying trend in oil production slightly better and it's just being offset by a, a bigger weather impact or is the, the weather risk, you know, that was incorporated in that original 305 guide kind of similar to what, what, what actually transpired? Scott, I think it's really the, the well mix. The, uh, we've got some wells coming on. The Wilson wells are exceptionally high oil cut. Uh, we continue to bring those in. Um, I, I think that's just working in our in our favor in that regard. Okay. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, sir. Our next question comes from Scott Annald from RBC. Scott, your line's now open. Yeah, thanks. Uh, if, if I can uh, delve into the infrastructure a little bit more, you know, on page 13, you, you, you obviously bucket, you know, three areas that you're focused on in terms of, you know, building support for the 2024 plan. You know, as, as you think about, you know, the, the Permian development over, you know, the next two, three, four years, like w which area really um, are, are you focused most primarily on to make sure you're, you know, executing on the plan? Like wh where do you see the risk of the biggest constraint, I guess, is, is the question. Scott, is all of the above an option? <laughs> um, no, I mean, seriously, it, it, any one of these things gets constrained and, and you're, you're dead in the water, or at least constrained. And so we work really hard to not just build what is the best rate of return opportunity set in our portfolio, but we're very thoughtful about modeling our own infrastructure even modeling third-party infrastructure if we don't feel that they do an adequate job. And then there's the occasional curveball where one of the third parties, maybe even an electrification front, can't come through with their normal pace. We need to have enough flexibility, enough forethought, enough creativity to be able to solve some of those problems essentially for them. So one of the things I mentioned is building out more of our own electrical infrastructure. We have about 700 miles of electrical uh, electric lines in our basin already. We generate some of our own power. We have our own microgrids. And this is really taking the bull by the horns out of necessity because otherwise um, the local power providers were not going to be able to keep up. So those are the kind of proactive steps that we really leaned in probably with double effort in, in 23 because some of these historical norms have really changed. And we wanted to make sure that we didn't just bring on a bunch of wells and then be abnormally constrained and have to answer questions about why our wells are so terrible. <laughs> so anyway, I feel really good about the work that we did in 23, that we continue to do in 24. But look, we're not out of the woods. We continue to look at infrastructure needs in 26, 27, and 28. Uh, we're working with partners as best we can. And I really think we have a great uh, runway ahead of us. But the team is always on caution to make sure that we are uh, prepared for those unforeseen challenges. Okay, thanks for that. And, and as is my follow up, it's it, it's going to be on on M and A, and I was hoping to get a deeper sense of how you think about M and A. And it's it's really two parts. One, you know, first, if you can comment on some of the recent deals that have been out there, you know, if you all participated, and and really what was the the gives and takes of why why if if you did why Devin you know didn't win out, and the number two. You, you all mentioned obviously you're a multi-basin player, but like when when you think about like you know do, does Devin have the scale right now um, that that it would like, and and if you were to add, would it be really most a Permian thing, or you know are are other um, of those basins open to more significant M and A for Devin? 
Yes, Rick, I'll, I'll field that one. Number one, I, I really, um, you know, I really like the scale that we currently have. We have uh, we have a, a deep resource base across our, our five uh, our five basins that we're in. So I feel really good about that. Now we're always, as I mentioned earlier, we're always going to be looking to be opportunistic to add resource, to add um, investment opportunities, you know, at a at a uh, reasonable value, at a attractive value for our shareholders. I think that's just really incumbent upon this management team to always uh, always being uh, on the uh, on the hunt. There. That being said, we are going to be very disciplined. Uh, some of the recent transactions, I think, were. Um, that uh, were out there that were announced. When I look at the at the uh, the metrics on those, those were rich. They really were. And others, um, you know, uh, there's been a couple of them that were hats off. They're very nice deals that we, you know, we certainly weren't participating in those processes. But good, you know, good good for them. And that's that's great. Congratulations. But for us. I want to just continue to drive on the point. We're going to continue to be disciplined, and we have to balance short-term accretion with long-term, how that fits in uh, for the long haul for, for Devon. You know, we're a 50-year-old company. We're not a five-year-old company, and we have to be really, really thoughtful about that. And so uh, we'll continue to look for opportunities, but we're going to, we're going to maintain that discipline. And uh, at the end of the day, we have a, a deep deep resource base and I think that's something that that is incumbent upon this management team that we have to continue to, to drive home and we have to demonstrate not only how we execute hitting numbers exceeding them whatever whatever that is but we just have to, to do a wonderful job in in uh, working with with the outside community outside investors on the resource that we have uh, in-house currently. Yeah, and, and regionally, is there an area you focus a little bit more time on? Is it, you know, Permian, Bach, and Eagle for like are, are all areas a focus? You know, I think for us, um, we're going to stick to our strategy. That's real simply put, we want to stay as oily as we can for as long as we can. I think we're seeing that play out in real time with, I'm not sure we got more gas prices are as we sit here this, this morning again, but it's it's sub two dollars. That's that's not a good spot to be in, and so for us, we want to stay as uh, as oily and as liquid rich as as we possibly can because uh, throughout the entirety of my career, that's that's been the place to go. Now we're all, I think we all are are um, optimistic. Uh, about what the future of natural gas could be, and, um, and and you know we spend quite a bit of time in D.C. talking about the importance of tone, the cons- uh, the importance of consistency with some of our public policy, those sorts of things, and in our foreign trade policies. And so we, um, so for us, I think near term to answer your question, we're going to be uh, very interested in oil prone basins. Oil is going to drive the margins for the foreseeable future, and that's kind of where we want to be. Thanks for the color. You bet. Our next question comes from Charles Mead from Johnson Rice. Charles, you may proceed with your question. Yes, uh, good morning, Rick Clay and, and Jeff. Um, Rick, I, I want to ask a question about your, your Delaware Basin completion crews, and, and more specifically, if you could give us a sense of the, the composition of the, the four fleets you're running right now, whether those are all zipper fracks or whether there's any simulfrac crews in there. And and I, where the, in the bigger sense where I'm going with this, is, 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 has there been any, any thought or is there any possibility of 
adjusting that mix to uh, so that you more are on a steady state uh, program there yeah i'm gonna let clay i'm gonna let clay answer the, the balance of that but uh you know just uh in real time just yesterday uh was talking to our one of our completion managers down there and uh you know we're picking up the fourth crew as we mentioned but the three that, are, that have been out there the the uh it's incredible uh charles on 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 the efficiencies and what we're what we're doing out there the number of stages and and it's interesting there's a there's we're it's it's healthy competition you know, between uh, the the team members and, and certain of the companies that are involved with it, and we're we're uh, actively uh, comparing and contrasting ways that we can get get better and better. And and at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we do this very very safely and efficiently. And um, and so we're we're constantly changing. Every every pad has uh, its unique uh, characteristics, but I can tell you that uh, more and more we we just see these efficiencies that are just just incredible. And things that just 12 months ago uh, we knew that you'd see some efficiencies, but we're exceeding some expectations. Clay, won't you? Maybe you can sure. I'll follow up, color. Charles. Um, we have more simulfrac coming. Uh, we're we're completing today and more to come throughout the year and, and go forward one of the challenges of simulfrac you really need to plan that 12 or 18 months ahead when you're planning the well site location how many how many wells on one particular location because that enables more ability to do some of that so about 12 months ago we started really kind of leaning in building a little bit long larger uh, number of wells per pad instead of separate pads that allows for more simulfrac opportunity which we're seeing great results and we're continuing to to benefit from we're also testing some very interesting things where we artificially tie pads together with some big lines uh, between the two so there's some really creative stuff that again is a little below the radar typically of what we talk about in earnings calls but i can tell you that the teams are doing just amazing work and really adding material val value through these efficiencies to the bottom line of Devon. So really appreciate the great work there. Got it. And then, and then Clay, I want to go back to your, your prepared comments. Uh, you, you were you were talking about, uh, I, th I think I heard you talk about uh, some additional landing zones and the wolf can't be. Um, I'm not sure I kind of I caught it all when you were talking about it. So I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit on that and, and perhaps including your answer, a, an indication. Is this something that, that you're going to be, you know, that you're working into the 24 program, or is this is this an an out year uh, sort of project? Yeah, I think uh, sometime last year when we were deep in the penalty box, uh, we talked about the highlights of some of the great work that the team did around understanding the wolf can't be. Now that work is manifesting in more of that B coming to kind of that front end of the priority list, really competitive, super accretive and we're incorporating that landing zone into some of the development that we have um, during the course of 24 and beyond. And so well, here's how I would characterize it. This is landing zones that we knew were, were viable. We needed to test, we needed to understand, we needed to try some different configurations to really find the best approach. During the course of 23, 22 and 23, we did that. We, we optimized a, a, a development approach, and now in 24, we're benefiting from some of that. So, again, it, it probably was lost in some of the, um, the, the shuffle last year, but this is work that we did during the course of 23 that we're significantly benefiting from. This expands what I would consider some of our, our really tier one runway, 
It's stuff that was a little further out in the priority on a risk basis. As we de-risked it, boy, it really has moved to the front of the pack, and we're really excited about the continued good work there. Thanks for that in detail. You bet. As a reminder, to ask questions, press star 1. Okay, and our next question comes from David Deckelbaum from Cohen. David, your line's now open. Thanks for squeezing me in, guys. Um, appreciate the time. Uh, Rick or Clay, I, I wanted to ask just, you talked about, Rick, obviously, the, or, or Clay, the, the total dollar amount for the Delaware actually coming down this year. Uh, it looks like you're still obviously growing that asset. Uh, you know, you got guided obviously to a slight decline, I guess, uh, at a corporate level. I'm wondering, you know, when you think about capital allocation, should we be consistently thinking about the Delaware as a growth asset uh, over the next several years, given the visibility that you have now, where you can be allocating capital to within that basin? You know, I think it's. Um, I would put it in the same category as Devin. We are a low growth, kind of zero to five percent. Delaware will play a certain role. Some some quarter, some years, it's going to be a little bit of a tick up. Others, it's going to be relatively flat. But I wouldn't think of it as a standout growth asset. Um, we're really pleased with the year-over-year performance. As I mentioned, it did grow. We also were able to build a few extra ducks during the course of the second half of last year that we were able to capture the benefit of in the first half of this year. So there's kind of that going on in the background, but I wouldn't say it's materially out of step with overall Devon or with the other basins. Hey, David, it's Rick. I'll, I will add that, uh, you know, when we talk about it being, you know, flat to up, up slightly in the Delaware, that's on the oil side. And uh, as you think about a, an improving, structurally improving uh, gas and, and NGL uh, structure, you will see, you will see uh, growth there. So I think you can look at it from, a, from an equivalent standpoint. It is a growth basin, and it's going to continue to be. That's what drove a lot of our 8% growth as a, as a company uh, last year. And so I think you're going to see that continue to play out. That's not only true of us. That's true of the entire uh, Permian Basin, whether it's on the Midland side or the, uh, the Delaware side. Uh, you're going to continue to see uh, gas production, NGL production continue to grow, even in a flat oil Appreciate uh, that. scenario. Thanks, Rick and Clay. And, and, and maybe, this, Rick, you know, one of the, I guess, other parts of the capital budget that continues to grow every year, albeit still small, uh, is carbon capital. Um, you know, in, in a world where you're trying to enhance returns of capital to shareholders, could you kind of contextualize how you see that spend uh, generating returns for, for Devon as a whole and, and you know, why that's sort of seeing a larger piece of the pie this year, albeit small? Yeah, you know, I think it's a really good question, and it's a really important topic for us, um, not only as Devon, but as an industry, and it's something we're going to stay ahead of. You know, we have uh, changing regulations. Um, Devon wants to make sure that we stay, uh, you know, stay ahead of the curve, and these regulations are coming at, e at us quickly. What a lot of people don't understand is some of these regulations coming are so onerous that many of the low-volume wells that we have across this nation uh, are going to end up being plugged. And so, you're going to see you're going to see oil and natural gas wells that basically are stripper wells that we always refer them to that are such low volume they just quite honestly cannot uh, they cannot afford 
uh, to, uh, to you know, uh, spend capital on. And it's just it's going to be a fact of life. And so there are studies by API and some of the other trade groups that talk about that impact, but it is real. So what Devin wants to do, we want to make sure that we're ahead of the curve, as I, as I said. And it's something that we'll, I think you'll see over time is going to continue to uh, uh, to creep up for the next two or three years. We want to be very thoughtful about that and prudent with it and and strategic about it. Uh, but it, it is something to, that um, we all just have to deal with. It is, it's a fact of life. And just for my own edification, is that capital being earmarked for projects that would allow you to prolong uh, production on some of these wells, such as increasing methane capture, or is this capital associated or tied to um, plugging and abandoning some of those wells that would be more regulatory headaches? David, what I would characterize most of it is, is retrofitting existing facilities with better designs to lower emissions. And, and by the way, keep us well ahead of this coming regulation wave. So you could look at this out of necessity. Um, I think we're half a click ahead. We try and stay well ahead of just necessity. But these are, uh, these are regulations that we will always make sure that we are staying in front of to continue to reserve our uh, important rights as an organization to provide energy to fuel the world. So thanks again for the question, David. Thanks, guys. Well, it looks like uh, we've, we've run a little bit past time here, so I appreciate everyone's interest in Devin today. And if you have any further questions, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to the Investor Relations team at any time. Have a good day, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's call. Thank you for joining. You may not